I want to be on a dating app where people are looking to date seriously, but you know, we're not signing up for marriage necessarily, but we have, you know, that being said, we actually have had quite, quite a lot of marriages and we actually have league babies coming out from all cities. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have Amanda Bradford, who is the CEO of The League, which is a dating app for aspiring power couples. Amanda also worked with Sequoia Capital, Salesforce, and Google before starting The League. Amanda, how's it going? Hey, Eric. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having me on the call today. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and kind of what you do over there at The League? What do we do? I know. Do we do anything? No. <laughs> um, so we are in crazy growth mode. We, I'm actually currently sitting in Austin, Texas. Uh, we're launching Dallas, Houston, Austin next week. So we're doing a couple parties here. We just launched uh, Miami, Atlanta, and Philly last week. So we're, you know, we're really looking to expand our dating app, which, you know, we launched in San Francisco at the very end of 2014 and spent most of 2015 rebuilding the software, really understanding kind of what the users were wanting. 2016 was really rolling that out to LA, San Francisco, and New York. And then now, you know, we feel like we found product market fit. We feel like we have awesome users that are helping us grow. So now we're really trying to put the pedal to the metal this summer. Love it. Great. And so, I mean, what's the difference between the league versus like a Bumble or Tinder? I'm sure you get this question all the time. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started on the differentiators. There's, <laughs> there's too many to list, but I would say, you know, at a high level, um, what the league offers is, is a more curated environment. So what we do is we actually require everyone to put in both their Facebook and LinkedIn, which sounds crazy, but it actually mm. is beneficial for the users as well as the matching algorithm, because we can um, really start a, we block you from your coworkers or any of your Facebook friends or LinkedIn friends, so you never have to worry about seeing a coworker. So by putting in your LinkedIn information, we make sure you don't have that awkward coworker run in and no one's swiping at you at the water cooler, we like to say. Um, but then on top of that, LinkedIn gives us a much more robust data set, and we can actually match people at a much deeper level. Um, we can look at the preferences that users put in, and then we can also look at things like their social graph in Facebook and LinkedIn. We can look at what degrees you know they've they've earned, what institutions they've attended, what profession and what field they're in, and really build that into the the matching algorithm and ensure that when we build this community, it is a diverse one with people from different backgrounds, different educations. So the idea is the league is, um, you know, similar to kind of like a, a great college or university. We're curating this pool of people that, you know, are ambitious, intellectual and really looking for a relationship. Great. And what kind of numbers can you reveal around the business today? So, you know, we, we just started revenue or tur- turning on monetization, I guess you can say. I'm mean, experimenting with it last April. So we've been running experimentations with revenue for a year. Um, things look really good. We really feel confident that we can build kind of a membership program within the league that people want to pay for and people want to be part of. Um, we've been really happy with the the numbers so far and our wait list. You know, when we launched in New York, we think we're at about a hundred thousand 
on our wait list. Um, and now we're at over 500,000. So we've seen really kind of pretty crazy growth this last year. Wow. And I was just telling uh, Amanda before we got on, we actually went live. I mean, I just installed the app uh, before we started this call and there's like 15,000 on the wait list in LA. So things are, things are growing, right? And Eric was waitlisted, but I'm going to have to pull some strings and get him in. No, <laughs> I'm just you. kidding. Appreciate you will it. get in, you will get in on your own merit. I promise. Love it. <laughs> um, and that actually brings up a good conversation because uh, I was having, I think we we're doing like a, like a Facebook live with a bunch of uh, other entrepreneurs. And this, like, after we went off air, uh, this guy, like this one guy in the group is like, dude, do you guys know the app Raya? And then this, this other guy, like spiky haired Asian dude pulls out his phone. He's like, yeah, I have it. And then the guy's like, no fucking way you're on Raya. And then they just had like, this, like a, this little ruckus. Um, but anyway, I guess well, my other we question. Don't, we don't really feel like we compete with them because we yeah. think Raya is more for like Instagram models and sort of That's LA, what LA yeah. celebrity wannabe, aspiring celebrities, I would uh-huh. say. And we're more for kind of people that are valuing education and, mm. you know, are more, you know, professionally and career oriented and less, I guess, Hollywood oriented. Cool. That answers my question. Um, I was just wanted to see yeah. if there was any comparison at all. Apparently there isn't. Um, great. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at kind of the league, like we have, you know, we have people in creative industries for sure, but a lot of them are like writers and producers and, you know, they're not necessarily like the, you know, actresses or reality stars. I think we really appeal to the consultants, the bankers, the writers, the journalists. So we have kind of a lot of this, um, you know, pretty intellectual type of a crowd, I would say. Great. And so you know, I actually read, I was reading one of your, your interviews and I, I think one of the questions was around how matchmakers will charge like a hundred grand or something like that. And then there's like others that charge like 10 grand a month oh, or something. Yeah. No, in New, New York city there, New York city, there's some that charge, you know, I, I personally know some people that have had spent like 60,000 with matchmakers in New York and in San Francisco. And, you know, essentially they, they function as a, a, a headhunter, right? So you, mm-hmm. you know, you pay a headhunter, a kind of a, a fee and then they go and, and do your, your searching for you. And they're in charge of basically bringing back candidates for you. And it's the same thing with matchmaking. And I think, you know, I think dating apps are replacing that market. I think that people now, because there's platforms that people are gravitating to, and there's only so many platforms out there. Um, you know, I think we're kind of, it's kind of consolidating. And because of that, I think that industry is, is dying. And we're really hoping to kind of think about what, what we can do to be super high touch and help people that really have that same need and are super busy and really don't have time, but also in a more scalable kind of millennial friendly way where it's not so kind of old school traditional. And, you know, you're on the phone with your matchmaker and then she's going out to parties and passing your business card out, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't quite know how, how it all works, but you know, I like to think that kind of dating apps have really reinvented, you know, that part of the industry too. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people listening to this, maybe aspiring entrepreneurs or current entrepreneurs are like, you know, where am I going to find the love of my life or whatever? I hear a lot of these stories. Uh, there's one really well-known author in the LA area and he has his interns. He makes him sign NDAs and then they just help him swipe. Um, and that's how he does it. And then there's another guy. He like his way of matchmaking is finding like other, uh, you know, other models in the Beverly Hills area. And then she just connects them with like a, you know, a bunch of the, like her girlfriends or whatever. So I think there's a lot of different ways. Um, I just never was really exposed to this world until um, I guess like the last few years. And I think it's it's, I guess if you go down the rabbit hole, I think you'll find it a lot more, but just letting you guys know, um, maybe you want to dig in, you can. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it, I mean, from just from a pure like business standpoint, I, I think the, the space is completely changing. Like it, you know, dating has been around since the nineties match.com has been around since, you know, our grandparents, it feels like 
So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not, it's kind of an old dinosaur industry. And I think there's a lot of new innovation happening. And with the mobile first, you know, the millennials affinity for these like mobile first products. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I mean, da- this is how people are dating now. Like there is no traditional way, like that is all kind of getting, uh, replaced. And I, you know, there's a lot of people upset about it. A lot of people like crying about, you know, traditional dating going out the window. But I, you know, I personally think that these technology platforms are giving us better options. We're able to, you know, we're able to have more selection and make better choices for ourselves. And if you think about it, like that's the, that's the best way to optimize a decision is having, you know, the best selection possible. And so now you no longer have to date the people you meet at work or live next door to you because, you can actually use a platform and meet people that might be across town that you'd have never run into naturally. And I think that that's like, it was such a cool thing that people don't give dating and dating app kind of the world credit for that. Yeah. I think it's when like, it's the same thing as when people used to look down on social media and it's like, Oh no, I want the human connection. But at the end of the day, it's just another way to communicate and get things faster, which is exactly what you're alluding to. Um, so I guess one more question around, um, you know, kind of the, the, I guess, the app itself before I talk about uh, business. So what, what kind of, what kind of success stories have you seen around um, the league? Just so people can get some context. Honestly, a ton, like almost so many that we don't even want to market it because we really, you know, I've been really reticent. I don't want to be known as sort of the eHarmony app where there's like, do you just produce marriages? Cause I think a lot of people, myself included, like I, I want to be on a dating app where people are looking to date seriously, but you know, we're not necessarily, signing up for marriage necessarily, but we have, you know, that being said, we actually have had quite, quite a lot of marriages and we actually have league babies coming out from all cities. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we're starting to stock up on, on league baby onesies to send them as a congratulations present. But, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, our average age is 28. If you think about it, we're at the exact point when people start thinking about dating seriously and really looking for someone they could, you know, see as a life partner. And I think, you know, that's a different type of search than when you're in your early twenties and you're just looking to kind of meet a lot of new people and figure out what you like, you know, we're, our user base sort of knows what they want and and they're looking for them actively. And I think, you know, because of that, we do have a really high success rate. And, And you'll notice, I think in New York and San Francisco, especially most of the dates you see people on are league dates because we just, have this, you know, this really high conversion rate. We have a much less matches on the league than these other sites because we only give three to five matches, but we Mm -hmm. make up for it because almost, you know, all the matches almost always convert or at least, you know, try to exchange phone numbers and try to meet up. So we, we kind of, what we don't have in quantity, we may, what I think we make up in quality. And so because of that high conversion rate, once you get a lot of people in person, then there's obviously going to be a high probability of kind of success in marriage. And, and we've seen that with the, the data. So it's been, it's been a really cool experience to see it actually working and to see these like pretty, pretty badass like women and men, you know, but oftentimes they're both like running divisions at like, you know, top tier companies and, and they would have never found each other, you know, if it wasn't for kind of a platform like the league. And that that's super exciting to me. You know, you just said you, you turned monetization on. So how much does this cost for uh, new people coming in? Yeah. So we've experimented with a lot of different um, things we've, you know, we started with like a monthly membership that was optional. We quickly switched to a one year membership. Um, that's also optional. And it's really for, you know, it's really for those users that are, um, you know, they, they value their time. I like to say we monetize the people that value their time the highest. And, and I think that's okay. Like we monetize, I always say like, I'm one of those people that when I'm late, I will pay like 10 X on Uber Mm -hmm. just to get me there. Like that's kind of, (laughs) that's kind of in our monetization strategy. So, you know, it's people that want to make sure the person sees them right away 
right next and they'll pay, they'll pay to kind of guarantee that and sort of be in front of the line. And so that that's been sort of a, a theme in a lot of our monetization is that we're kind of monetizing impatient people that, that value their time very highly. And like $6 is, you know, is, is worth it. If that means this person could be their, uh, you know, their match or their soulmate. And so I think, you know, the membership's around 180 mm-hmm. for the year, which comes out to about, you know, 15, $16 a month, which, you know, we're trying not to be, we don't, we want a diverse background of like pretty ambitious, driven people. It's not about income. Like half my, half my friends are entrepreneurs and are basically at the poverty line. So it's, it's definitely not like an income type of a thing, but I think we're really trying to, to just, you know, monetize in sort of an ethical way, which in dating is actually pretty hard. A lot of dating sites, you know, tend to tend to monetize with like kind of the easiest way forward. And and we're really trying to, to really help people pay only, you know, because they like the product and because they want more of, of something. So we, we try to kind of, I guess it's a little bit of a weird point, but I guess I'd want to make the disclaimer that if you go on a lot of dating sites, you'll notice that they tend to really just try to monetize the men. <laughs> and, and, and we, our revenue actually comes 50, 50 from men and women. Like we, women pay just as much on the app for every type of product as men do. And we're really the only dating app that can claim that. Right. No, I, I love it. Cause like, you know, the, from a product habit standpoint, once you pay for something, you start to take it seriously versus when something's free, you kind of don't take it as seriously. I mean, that's at least how I behave. It's ex- exactly. And we actually noticed that when we AB tested the monthly to the yearly, when people put out $180, like even if you're super rich or even if, you know, you still like you feel it and you are like, okay, I paid for this app. So I'm going to log in at least, you know, three or two or three times a week. And so they're actually better users. They're less flaky. They respond to people. It's almost like that payment kind of puts a fire under them to actually, you know, be a good user. And so we, you know, it was almost like a hands down decision. Like, yes, we're probably not optimizing for revenue, but our user behavior was so much better with the, the one year membership that, that that's why we switched to it. Awesome. And so, I mean, I, I want to talk about your, your launch strategies, cause it sounds like you're going to these cities and then you're launching. I mean, so what are you doing there exactly? And is that the most effective thing that's working for you in terms of driving, uh, you know, these more users, I guess? Yeah, so we are very referral based, uh, meaning that's kind of our primary strategy. We don't really do much digital marketing. We've experimented with a couple um, Facebook and Instagram ads here and there. But for the most part, we really depend on our user base to refer other like awesome people in these cities we're going to. And and yeah, what one of our big parts of our strategy, I actually did a talk on this at HustleCon. Um, it's on YouTube, but it basically it's, we call it pre-partying or pre-gaming. I always say pre-gaming your launch, but we, we try to go to the cities, you know, a week or two before we launch, throw a party, if not two or three, meet a lot of the users, really try to understand the dating culture, what people are excited about, um, and, and kind of take that back and then, and then launch afterwards once we've had, let them kind of get a chance to spread the word. So we always try to, you know, come to each city and really meet the users face to face before we launch in that city. So we have yet to launch a city without kind of me and the whole team, um, you know, a team of like five or six of us on the launch team. And we've been flying out to every single city and literally, you know, talking to everybody that comes to the events. And, and, and it's a, you know, it's not a super cost effective strategy, but it's one that I, I think pays off in the long run. Love it. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things, I mean, around, I see that you guys have raised, what, $2.28 million, um, on, on Crunchbase, at least. So Yeah, we're about two and a half, yeah. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sure one of the questions that you get when, when you're raising money is around, like, oh, you know, with dating apps, they're tough because once the user is successful, they don't need a product anymore. So how do you And then everybody thinks, everyone thinks they're, like, the smartest person in the world when they tell you that. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. They all, like, pat themselves on the back, and they're like, well, I bet you haven't thought about that. And I'm like, this is my industry. That's
it's like telling a used car salesman that like they're going to have to buy more cars when they sell the car. Like, of course, like that's awesome. But I mean, look, that's, that's the nature of our industry Two people. When we successfully match people two people leave, but you know what they tell, they each tell five friends and those five friends, when they see them getting married down the aisle, you bet they join and, and you bet they actually pay for a membership. So, you know, that's the way I look at it is like, if I have two churned users that I personally like matched successfully, then mm-hmm. I, I have like 110% faith that they are going to go and acquire two users on my behalf. And, right. and if, if not more. Right. That totally makes sense. See, there you go, VCs. Um, yeah, that's what I say to the VCs. But yeah, no, fun, fundraising and dating is kind of akin to fundraising in e-commerce or hardware. Like it's it's just tough. It's tough. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, a lot of people have been burned. Not a ton of amazing exits, and a lot of people who are kind of remembering the space from yesteryear of the '90s. You know, the harmonies, the Zeus, and it's. You know, I argue that it's a it's a totally different industry now. Like since Tinder's come along, it's literally you know, it's, it's one of the main four apps millennials use on their phone. It's like on the home screen. So like we, we are, we should be in a prestigious category at this point because we're sitting there right next between Gmail and Uber on someone's phone. But I think, you know, things take a long time to change. And I think that, you know, people are slowly changing their views on the dating space, but it, yeah, it's not an easy space to fundraise in by any means. Great answer. Um, so you mentioned in one of your previous interviews that, you know, you see yourself becoming a thought leader. So how are you doing this today besides, you know, podcasts like this? Not anything. I'm just using you, Eric. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, you know, we've been, we've, we've kept the team super lean. I have like five roles, like individual contributor roles on top of management roles. So we're all, you know, everyone on the team is wearing 10 hats right now. So I think, you know, the goal is to hire a leadership team that can, I can start to delegate a lot of, um, a lot of the things I'm working on. And then, you know, really start to think about, you know, dating, I like to call it dating 3.0. I think we're in dating 2.0 right now. I think dating 3.0 is just around the corner. I think there's a lot of interesting things, um, going on with the geolocation, with video, with VR, with AI, you know, there's a lot of really interesting tech things that you can incorporate into dating. So my, my goal is, you know, I always say I want the league to be a tech company that nails dating and can nail other things. But like, first and foremost, you know, we're a tech company and we, you know, we build an amazing mobile application that uses technology to solve human problems. And so that's sort of how we think about it is we want to be on the cutting edge of, you know, the newest consumer app, you know, craze and making sure that we're, we're kind of giving, you know, millennials the features that, that they're asking for. Is there a section on the app for, cause you just mentioned, you know, looking for, for like, you know, maybe that, that, that integrator or that COO type of person, I, isn't there a section where you can just switch off and then, you know, go find those people with the league? You mean, sorry, clarify the question. Like, is there like a more, is there a more networking aspect of the league rather than dating? Yeah. So I, I think I saw like a ability to switch off dating, right? It says like, or maybe in the beginning where it's qualifying you, it's saying, are you single and looking right now? Or are you oh, yeah. just going to connect? Yeah, yeah. I know someone made, someone made a joke. They were like, wait, are you doing swingers? Cause there's like a not single <laughs> version. And I was like, no, 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 no. We need to change that messaging. So no, what, what we've added is the ability. So let's say you do churn out. You mean, I match you with the woman of your dreams and you guys are happily ever after rather than both getting off the app, we want the app to be able to still offer you guys some things of value. So one of the things the league does is we offer groups and events for our users and our community to be able to talk to, you know, different people that are all interested in, let's say snowboarding or yoga and, and really meeting kind of like-minded people. So we have, it's similar to like meetup.com. So we almost have like a meetup.com kind of embedded in the league. 
And um, because of that, you can, you know, people can kind of use the league as a not single person. And you can, let's say you want to go to a couple's wine tasting event, or let's say you want to go to Coachella and meet new people, you know, to hang out with, like you can do that whether you're single or not single. And so we, we want to offer features that, you know, still are valuable to you regardless of what your relationship status is. Got it. All right. Well, tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing the league. Oh man, what struggle haven't I faced? Um, you know, I think what's the irony of it, <laughs> I think the irony of it is like the biggest struggle has been relationships <laughs> within, you know, we team hiring, uh, getting the right people on board. And so it's, it's been, I would say ironic just because, you know, obviously dating is about relationships and then everyone's going through their own personal relationships at the time. But it's what I think what's, what's been challenging is the the parallel of, hiring great people that you like working with that, you know, you're spending 10 to 12 hours a day with these people. And you're basically having to create a process for selecting who you want to work with for 10 hours a day and who's going to a do a good job, but b you know, work with your personality and then C work with the company's culture. And I think, I guess I underestimated, I think I underestimated how hard that was, would be like, I think I I'm tough to work with personally. And then I think the culture, you know, we were pretty outspoken, you know, tight knit group. So you have to be kind of loud to, to sort of butt in and have strong opinions and not get your feelings hurt. And so it's, it's been a lot, I think more challenging to find great, great talented people that kind of check all the boxes across the board, which, you know, just like dating, dating, I would say the same thing about dating. So that's why I think it's, it's an, it's an ironic challenge and one I think everyone can relate to. Yeah. I mean, talent's always the biggest thing. I mean, even after like, you know, after these calls or whatever, usually I ask, it's, it's always around talent. And then um, the, the story that I think I've shared maybe once on this podcast was, uh, so I'm in this group called uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, and I, bu- I joined with this other guy a couple of years ago, and his business was doing $3 million a year. Saw him a couple of weeks ago, and then I was like, hey, how are, th- how are things going? And he's like, well, uh, we're doing $22 million a year now. And I was like, okay, well, wow. like, what the fuck happened? And he's like, well, you know, uh, you just hire great people, and then um, you just get out of their way. And I'm like, you know, easier said than done, right? But literally, that's well, what that's, it is. No, and I love I love that story because I think you know we've we've started to do that. We we are start we have an awesome team now. I mean, I think you know year one, year two, it was tough. Like you don't have an you know when you don't have a product that totally works, you don't have the team together. You're kind of just trying to figure everything out on the fly, and you don't have a you don't have resources or money, right? So that's you know that's the hard part. I think we're we're finally getting to the point. You know, partially because we've been able to start to, to monetize, but we've been able to now afford, you know, awesome people. And so it's been, it's been awesome to see just like in the last six months, how rapidly the company's changed just because I've, like he said, I've gotten out of the way, I've hired great people and I've let them do their thing. And, and the change has been, you know, crazy. You can see how, how fast we're growing now. So, so yeah, I, I agree with, with his advice. All right. What's one big thing, positive or negative, that has impacted your business in a big way in the last year? Or what's a change that you made? So, for example, it could be starting SoulCycle. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. That is still on my to-do list, exercise and personal balance. <laughs> um, so one thing I've done well? One, thing that, one big change that you've made that's impacted either you or your business in a big way. Well, I moved to the office to a live work uh, house in downtown San Francisco, and I now live on top of the office in a studio. So I'm like a shopkeeper that lives above his shop. <laughs> uh, wait, what's a live work? Uh, 
It's a live, so it's zoned live work, which means it was built as a two bedroom, two bath apartment, but uh-huh. it's zoned, it's zoned in a work district. So you can actually technically have employees and you can have a company there and you're not like doing anything illegal. Oh, cool. So it's this new, it's kind of this new way for San Francisco to deal with some of our housing <laughs> issues that we have. So yeah, yeah so I, I kind of took a, it was a little bit of a, uh, quick decision, not super well thought out, but I was just, you know, I was commuting a lot to work. We were at this, you know, we were at a co-working space that wasn't like, didn't really feel like a home. Like we weren't really bonding as a team and you know, everyone was it, a lot of late nights, a lot of Uber rides. And I was like, you know what, let's just, let's get a house. And it was cheaper. Actually, it ended up being cheaper. And it's a little bit weird. We had to kind of figure out the, you know, you have to get toilet paper every week and you have to like start stocking all your stuff. So we've had to all play office manager, but I think from my perspective, like the comp, the culture has, you know, everybody's gotten so much closer and we're working together so much better. It, it just feels like a m- totally different company by just simply by moving environments and putting us all in a house. And now, now I get to, I'm at work. I'm much happier because I'm not commuting to work. I get to like come down from, you know, I come downstairs to work. So it's, yeah. So I've been happier personally. I think the company is happier. Everyone feels like you know, we have a, a place to live and we have a home. And so I think, yeah, you can't underestimate sort of the value of, of home and, and creating a space for people to, to be creative and to work together. Great. And is it the, is it you that lives there or is it the, the whole team? No, no, no. Well, I live, so the, there's a two bedroom, two bath that we've, or four, whatever, three bedroom, three bath, like apartment that we've changed into a workspace. And then there's a studio above it that I live in. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So yeah. I, so I can like, <laughs> so they, I always tell them if I'm like sleeping in, they can just take a broom and like hit the ceiling and uh-huh. wake me up. <laughs> has that ever happened? Uh, I think Meredith has done it a couple of times and she'll come in and be like, hello, wake up. You have a meeting in five minutes. So, oh, wow. That's funny. It's yeah. funny. So yeah, it feels a lot more like a family. And I think, you know, we're, we're still like 30, 35 people. So we, you know, we're pretty close knit and, and it, it just feels a lot closer. Cool. So what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value like Evernote? One new tool that's added a lot of value. Um, what is the, you know, we're, we're using, well, this is a little bit more nerdy, but we're using mode analytics for our dashboards and it's super cool. easy. You basically just, you can hook it up to any of whatever database backend you use. And then all you, you just write, you put SQL in it. And I don't know yep. if listeners, are into SQL, but it's just this kind of pretty basic scripting language that it's not super complicated to learn. And then once you understand the basics of it, it's really powerful. And so you can create, you know, I've created the entire company's dashboards um, for for every department and every function myself. And I'm not even good at SQL. And um, it's just been cool because now we all have dashboards to run our business. We have stuff that every morning when we meet, we just print out the the dashboard, and and all it is is just kind of a graphical interpretation of the the SQL that we you know the SQL results that we put in of like let's see the number of payments we got today or the number of matches that we got today, and and getting a better handle on metrics, I think that allows you to to work better with your senior senior team if you can enable them to quickly get the data they need to make decisions. Yeah, I've heard great things about mode, so definitely check it out. We'll drop it in the show notes. Um, final question from my end. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Well, this is a little bit uh, availability bias because I just finished it, but it was Shoe Dog, which was mm. the story of Phil Knight starting Nike right out of business school. Um, obviously, it re- I related to it because I started the league out of business school. Um, and, you know, it was just cool to read his story it was back in the day when like companies like were like, you know, the, the startup period was like 30 years instead of like four, like it is now. So it, you know, I, I just kind of was odd at 
just how driven and determined he was to, to do, you know, to keep working on it for, for so long. It took so long to, to kind of get off the ground. You're selling shoes. He had all these banks that were like, wouldn't give him loans. It was just, I guess when I think about how I complain about fundraising on Sand Hill or complain about, you know, how hard it is to find talent. And then I think about like what he went through. And I think reading that book is really helpful to put it in context and for Silicon Valley to kind of like be like, okay, we're, we're, we have champagne problems, you know, like, I'm sorry, someone will only give you 25 K like poor Phil Knight had like, you know, 10 million in revenue and couldn't get a loan for a million bucks Mm -hmm. back in the day. So, you know, I I think it's just good to put in perspective, like how far we've come as a, just a business economy here in America. And, and I don't know, it's cool. I love reading. I love reading about, um, just people who kind of did crazy stuff and it worked. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Great book. I I think you always, I mean, for me, at least I like getting reading biographies because you get your own lessons from it. Um, it's not somebody telling you like, Hey, you need to go do this shit. Right. So, um, it's helpful. So Amanda, this has been awesome. What's the best way for people to find you online? Find me online. I don't really have an Instagram presence, but I'm or a Twitter really, but I'm more of a Facebook girl. So you can find me on Facebook or the league.com. Um, and you can easily contact us there and I'm happy to, to answer any questions that come in. All right. Thanks so much for doing this. All right. Well, thanks so much, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.